0: morning everyone again, it's good to be with you. This week I got to do one of my favorite pastimes, I assume that you've gotten the opportunity to do that, uh, which is um, to sit and have an ice cream cone and watch the traffic go by. To me that is like summer has arrived, the moment is here, so we went uh, just down the street a little bit from here, there's a little yogurt shop called Yotality. Uh, we went in there and like I had to scold the kids for putting all the can, you know, like putting too many t- toppings on. Do you know that they do it by weight, right? And so you have to talk through kids like, yes, that strawberry is healthy for you, but it's got water in it, and so it weighs a lot more. Let's do no strawberries and do something like graham crackers that weighs a lot less. And you- so you work through all of those things. Are any of you as stingy as I am when it comes to your parenting skills? All right, there's one of you. Okay. So you go through all of that, and then it was just me and the kids. Uh, Aaron was out with, with someone else, and so it was just me and the kids were sitting there. We had ridden our bikes there, and so our bikes were kind of parked off to the side, and we sat on the benches. And so then we just sat there and watched the cars go by. And there's something about that kind of moment, is something that was in my childhood, I'm not sure, but just to be eating your ice cream, watching the cars go by, and then I pick up, you know, some of the games that I used to as a kid, and you say, okay, the first one to see a red picture, First one to see a red pickup truck, just shout, I got it. And so uh, we do that for a little while, you know, the first person to see a dog in a car, shout, I got it. And so Elias is three years old and he just keeps shouting, I got it. And there's, there's no red trucks anywhere around whatsoever. We know that he's lying, but you know, it's okay because he's three. And uh, so it just was a beautiful like moment for me, just like that's a snapshot of like what was the perfect evening. Uh, just to be there with my kids eating ice cream. So I read an article this week, and there's, there's, this is one of, you know, thousands of them that are out there, but this was in Austin, Texas. Uh, there is a place called Must Love Ice Cream that you can uh, earn a T-shirt that says, I came, I ate, I conquered, okay? And you can see where this is going. It is a uh, Sunday that is 14,000 calories. So if you eat that ice cream sundae with 14,000 calories, you get a, a free ride to the hospital while you're wearing the t-shirt, I came, I ate, I conquered. If you had that t-shirt, any, if there's any food enthusiasts out there, like ESPN actually shows as a sport the hot dog eating challenge every year. I don't... This is a sport, like as in athlete's train, quote-unquote, for this sport of hot-dogging. So if you eat the ice cream, you get the, I came, I ate, I conquered. Is that your, like that's what you want on your tombstone? Like that's what you want. Like that's what you want your life to be known for. And you're going to go around the country and you're going to, you like, I'm going to hit every ice cream stand from here to Texas. And I'm going to cover all of them. And I'm going to have all the t-shirts. Probably not. But Maybe. So, if you look at a New Testament, this is what Paul, as he approached the end of his life, here is what he said. This is in 2 Timothy, I'll just read it for you. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. At the end of his life, the t-shirt that he wanted to wear said, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. And at the end of his life, he's acknowledging, he said, this Christian walk, this idea of being a follower of Christ has been a battle day after day after day. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 12, he says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called. And then explaining it in verse 11, he says, flee the love of money. Flee all of this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. And as I read those verses, I want you to note the two words as I'm talking about the Apostle Paul. The two words that he is kind of highlighting are these words of flee and pursue. Flee the love of money, and yet pursue faith and love and perseverance. These are terms that are about the battle, about war, the idea of fleeing and pursuing. These are terms that are are not ice cream conversations. You see what I love about sitting there on the side of the road, and there's something just comfortable about that. There's something soothing and calming and comfortable about that. What Paul is describing is not a a Thursday evening on the side of the road eating an ice cream Sunday. What he is describing is entirely different. Paul knows nothing of Christianity that is safe and secure. Paul doesn't describe that. He doesn't recognize a Christianity that is not running the race and fighting a fight. And neither does the author of Hebrews. So we're in Hebrews chapter 12 today. If you've been tracking with us, we've been working through the book of Hebrews. And so if you've been with us, that's good because you can kind of see where we've been going and where we're headed. But you haven't been with us, this message is for you as well. This message will stand alone certainly of Hebrews chapter 12. If you have, if you look in front of you, in the pew in front of you, there's a black Bible there. You're welcome to look in that. Page 1263. It's a new international version. So if you're using an iPhone or something else, a U-version Bible, some way to get us there. We're, We're using the new international version today. I just want to give you that so that we're all on the same page. So in Hebrews chapter 12, we'll see this word, we're talking about the Christian life being a race or a marathon, and the word for race in the Greek is agon, where we get the word agony. And so that was also the word that they used in that time period to describe what we would say is a pentathlon, a Greco-Roman games that would compete back and forth. We see a pentathlon. There was five events and the sporting match that ended with a Greco-Roman battle in the ring. It was a boxing battle. After you ran, after you swam, then you would get in the ring and put on these leather gloves and fight it out, duke it out in the ring, but the gloves were designed to maim and to injure your opponent's face. And so if you'll imagine, uh, if any of you are Olympic fans, if you'll imagine Michael Phelps getting out after doing, you know, the butterfly, 400 freestyle, whatever it is, he gets out of the water, and he and that guy, what's the guy from France? I had to look up his name, Uh, Yannick Angel, like he gets out, and the two of them now who have been you know, going back and forth, now they duke it out at the side of the pool with their leather gloves with spikes on them and they go to town. This is what, when we see this word agon in Scripture, when we see the idea of marathon or see the idea of running the race, that pentathlon, that's really what is being talked about. The idea of this fight, this battle, this brawl. And so to get us started this morning, you have an outline in your bulletin, it's a white sheet of paper. I want to make this statement to get started. Playing it safe is actually the riskiest thing we can do, and so therefore we run. Playing it safe is the riskiest thing we can do, so we run. Playing it safe is the riskiest thing we can do. In 1987, uh, there was 10,000 Ford workers who came to work that morning and suddenly did not have a job. Not because of any decisions they had made, but because of the decisions that were made above them. And all of a sudden, 10,000 people did not have a job on that day when they came to work. What they had decided to do was spend their life doing the safe thing, doing the job that this was day after day and, and doing their work, and all of a sudden, they found themselves unemployed because they had found themselves in what they thought was safety. Wouldn't it look differently if perhaps during that time, during that season, and there was probably many of them who had, who had stepped out, who had risked more, who had done more to actually even push maybe the company forward to be able to say, instead of making boring cars that eventually was going to cost them 10,000 jobs until they figured things out, what if they had invested themselves and risked themselves a little bit more before that? And guess what? 10,000 people that morning suddenly found themselves in a dangerous, risky situation. So actually, playing it safe is the riskiest thing to do, so we run. We have some fill-ins for you this morning. The first fill-in I have for you is this. We train for the race. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. We train for the race verse 1 therefore since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles the first verse of that chapter verse verse 1 the first word of that word, verse is the word therefore how many of you have it, there's like a hashtag sometimes jimmy fallon will use this word dad jokes you understand what dad jokes are, like the jokes that your dad always told and you rolled your eyes and thought they were the dumbest thing in the world, and then fast forward 15 years and you catch yourself saying the same joke? Maybe not, but I'm a dad and I'm, I'm catching myself in that. So uh, maybe some of you, some improvements we made here as a church this year is we've added some video cameras around the church for the safety and security of our kids. Uh, there's a video camera in each one of the kids' rooms and that type of thing. But that also means there's a camera at the entrance. And so when you come in, uh, just, just know, hey, you're on camera when you're coming through the door. And so some of you are adjusting everything and like making sure you're all put together right as you're coming through the steps. And my dad would probably say to you, are you going to the movies when you get to the top of the step? Some of you know where this is going. Are you going to the movies? No, why? Well, I saw you picking your seat. Right? That's a dad joke. Yeah, that's that's a dad joke. So it's bad. Yes, I know it's bad. That's why I chose that one. All right. So. The first verse, first word of this verse, the word, therefore, is a little bit like a dad joke where like I've heard a number of pastors along the way say, if you see the word therefore, you have to say what it's there for. And I kind of rolled my eyes and said, that's kind of, okay, like I get it, but you didn't come up with that. I've heard that before. But actually, it actually is very helpful. When you see the word therefore, why is it there? Why, why is that there? What's the connecting point? Well, actually the connecting point is back to chapter 11, the heroes of the faith. He is looking back, this is a fill-in for you. He is looking back and, and we see all the record holders of the faith. So looking back, we see all the record holders of the faith. He points to all the people who have risked it all on God and on his promises. So as we train for the race, as we get ready for the race, as we run the race, there's a dense crowd of saints who are pressing on every side. They have finished the race. They have run the course, and now they circle back, and they stand on the sidelines, and they watch, and they press, and they look to see the route that we are running. And as you look at that crowd, you realize every one of them finished this race, So as we look back and we see those record holders, we realize this, it can be done. This race can be finished. We see examples of faith and perseverance under every imaginable circumstance. Here are some examples. David, who committed adultery and committed murder, and he finished the race. John the Baptist, who was a very weird person, a a crazy approach to living, and he finished the race. John Mark in the New Testament, we see him, he is portrayed as a quitter. And yet he finished the race. Mary, (coughs) the prostitute, she finished. Job, who suffered tremendously, he finished the race. Stephen, who was hated and was stoned, he finished the race. Jim Elliott, who was dramatically killed on his arrival in Ecuador before he even began, finished the race. Louis Zamperini, who has endured a Japanese prison camp, finished the race. By the power and the faith that carried them through, I'm going to finish the race too. And so will you. So looking back, we see record holders. It can be done. Looking back, we see the record holders and they're saying, it's time for you to get into shape. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. When he says throw off everything, this word actually means weight. It can refer to the physical weight of getting into shape, and running the race of obesity, getting that off, or maybe it's unnecessary baggage that you are carrying. This timeline, time period that this is being written in the ancient Greek runners and the idea of the Olympics was all kind of coming together during that time, and during the Olympics they would actually run all of their races and compete stark naked. I didn't realize that until going through this. I mean, maybe I should have, but I didn't. So they, why do they do that? Because they don't want anything to hinder them. They don't want any encumbrance to hold them back. And today, when you see Olympic athletes compete now, if you see someone pole vaulting, they are doing so with a very light uh, uniform, you see them running the 100-yard dash, They're, they're pretty skimpy outfits. Why? Because they don't want anything to hinder them from the race. So picture the start of the Boston Marathon. Of course, at the front lines, you have all the Kenyans. They're ready to take off, and they're gonna—they're attacking the race. And maybe you've got one or two white dudes there, but for the most part, it's the Kenyans, and they're gonna take off. And then there's this overweight guy, in a parka, blue jeans, combat boots, and a backpack, at the race line, at the starting line. And you talk to him. You say, "Man, what is going on? Why do you got that backpack?" And he's like, "Well." I figured I might get hungry before the thing's over. So I've got some Twinkies, I've got some gallons of water. This guy wouldn't stand a chance of finishing. There's no way that he is going to be able to pursue not winning the race, certainly. Just finishing the race would be impossible. Because why? Because he has not laid aside everything that hinders him. Here actually encumbrances, or that that hinders, is actually separated from sin. They include things that are not intrinsically wrong, but keep you from running as you should. So in that example, if that runner got rid of the hiking boots, he dropped the backpack, he put on a pair of shorts, a pair of running shoes, a t-shirt, he'd probably perform better. He'd probably be able to do a little bit better. He'd be able to finish the race. So those are the encumbrances. In the cases of sin, it says you totally get rid of it if you want to run the Christian race. Sin always begins in the mind, and so we must judge all of our sin at the thought level. When we're talking about clearing and ridding all that hinders, we've got to think about that at the thought level. All these things start at the thought level. Pride, lust, envy, greed, anger, grumbling, selfishness. All of these things originate in in our thought life. If you entertain these thoughts, they incubate, and they develop into sinful words and sinful actions. If you cut it off there, if you cut it off at the thought, and it goes no further, now you're beginning to understand what it looks like to get into shape, to throw away, throw off everything that hinders. Those who are competing in the Olympics during that time, they would wear a, a uh, cloak. And so in that process, they would just take it off and throw it away. They didn't need that to compete with. Or they would actually, what you read in Scripture, the idea of girding up your loins. They would take, and to go to battle or to run and compete, they would take the bottom of it, if you imagine like a skirt or a dress, and they would tuck it into their waistband. So now they could compete without tripping over their garments. (coughs) If you cut it off there, if you cut off sin, if you throw it away, you're beginning to get into shape. So looking back... As we train for the race, we see the record holders. Here's your next fill-in, we persevere in the race. And let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. We each have a specific course mapped out for us and that course is specific to the runner themselves. If you've ever ran some of the the bigger races or seen them on television, a lot of times uh, there is a long course and a shorter course. So you can have in the same event, you can have a 5K, a 10K, a half marathon, and a marathon. All of those things could be running down the same course. And when you come up to an intersection, there might be someone there with a flag or something like that, and the color of your bib, if you have a blue bib and you're running in the 10K, they're going to point you to the left or point you to the right. That's your race to run. You don't want to be the half marathoner and end up on the 5K course. You're going to finish and your time isn't going to match up to what the course is. You don't want to be the marathoner and running a half marathon because you're going to finish in the wrong spot. There's a specific course that has been marked out for you and for me. <coughs> Excuse me. Verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. So looking back, we see the record holders. Looking up, we see, Phil the saying, Jesus. Looking up, we see Jesus. He is the author. He is the completer. Jesus is the one who started this process, and he is the one who is going to finish it. We just came through an Easter season, and the cross should demonstrate, the cross should show you how much He has invested in you. In any real estate transaction, you put down earnest money that says you will complete the deal, and they want it to be enough that you wouldn't walk away from the deal. You can't put down $2 on a house and expect that to be enough to hold it. Some of you just lived through this. Some of you just purchased houses. You know you got to put down enough money to make sure they understand that you are earnestly interested in purchasing this home. Jesus has invested His down payment, His earnest money is His blood that He shed on the cross for you and for me. He's got more invested in your life than you do. He's going to ensure that the process will be completed. When you give up on yourself, God won't. The cross shows you that he's committed to seeing things through. It's a beautiful thing. That takes the pressure off of me. When I preach a sermon, I don't have to, I wonder what I can say this morning that will really change lives. No. That's what His job is. That's what the Holy Spirit's job is, to move into lives and and, and change lives. That's not my job. That takes the pressure off of me. It takes the pressure off of you. When you say, well, how am I ever going to change my behavior? How am I ever going to change my life? You don't have to. Jesus will because he is the founder. He is the protector. He put down blood as earnest money on your life. In a sense, you are already, you are running a race that's already been won. So, of course, you can get up. He's already set the course out for you. He has already provided for you the assurance of victory and the power to get there. That's what Jesus has done. He has given a perfect model of faith from start to finish. He trusted his father from the beginning to end when he was on earth and running the race here and demonstrated for us how we can do it. We see Jesus I'm actually training, so this is actually very applicable to me. I'm actually training to run a half marathon right now. I was running this week, this morning. It was an early morning run and just kind of doing my thing. And, and there was a certain mile mark that I was going for that morning. And I knew I was going to preach this sermon. And I'm telling you, I'm coming around the corner. I'm like, I could either come here and go home or do the extra two miles that I'm supposed to do. And now I've got to stand in front of the church and tell them just focus on Jesus and you can keep going. I was like, I don't want to keep going. I kept going. You were my accountability Thursday morning. Thank you very much. Focus on Christ. He has already won. The mark the course has been laid out for you. He knows what it is. He has already set that in motion. Just run. We see Jesus. Thirdly, we endure, this is a fill in, we endure the race. We endure the race. Why? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So looking back, we see record holders. Looking up, we see Jesus. But looking forward, we see joy. We see joy. What was it that held Christ to the cross? We know it wasn't the nails. Yes, he was nailed to the cross, but there was no reason why he could not throw himself down, pull himself down. There were legions of angels who could take care of that. He raised from the dead, he calmed storms, and he walked on water. Those little nails were not holding him on the cross. Would you agree with me? What held him to the cross, according to verse 2, was the joy that awaited him. On the other side, the joy of what? What would, what would he obtain after the cross that he didn't have before the cross? Was it the approval of God the Father? No, he already, he already had that. When he was baptized, he said, this is my son in who I am well pleased. Was it the kingship of the universe? No, he already had that. When he went through the desert with the devil who was tempting him, he said, no, I'm already. You You got things mixed up. Your little kingdom here is of no use to me. He's already the king of the universe. Was it the adoration of the angels? No, because we we know that at any moment, as I just said, at any moment, the angels would come in and rescue him if they chose. They already adored him. So what was the one thing that he would have after the cross that would give him joy that he did not have before the cross? That one thing is you. That one thing is you. He was doing this to save you. He was doing this to reconcile you unto himself. For the joy of reconciling you and me to himself, he did what? He endured the cross so that you could be reconciled. If Christ felt that way about you, doesn't it make you long to see him? If Christ was willing to sacrifice and give all of that for you and for me, doesn't that make you long to pursue him You see, people of faith are joy-driven. That's the biggest difference between those who are religious and those who are followers of Christ. People of faith are joy-driven. People who have been transformed by the gospel are driven by actually living out a relationship with Jesus Christ. People who are following a religion are duty-driven. They are looking at, how do I follow these laws, these practices? And so at some point, there isn't much drive for them. But people of faith, people who have been transformed by the gospel of Christ and renewed their minds and in their hearts, there's something new. They want to pursue joy of the relationship with Jesus Christ and the joy that comes from rescuing others in the same way. So looking back, we see record holders. Looking up, we see Jesus. Looking forward, we see joy. People of faith are so consumed with eternity. and That vision of eternity, they would gladly give up their lives here for the sake of the joy that they are going to obtain there. Make a... Final statement here, the goal of faith is not the elimination of risk. There is nothing passive about following Christ. It's on your outline there, the goal of faith is not, circle it, underline it, star it, it is not the elimination of risk. There's nothing passive about following Christ. So we run. Look at Scripture. Let me give you a couple examples. In Matthew chapter 25, we read about the parable that Jesus tells, the parable of the talents and how you've got three different, three different men who are trying to follow their master's orders. And what does one of them do? He takes his talent and he buries it. Just a moment ago, I held up for you a check to say, this is the way that I'm trying to uh, pursue what I think God wants us to do as a church. And so if I had stood here and opened, these are in the stage so we can put little things and hook, if I had taken that check and put it in the stage and then closed it up and said, all right, there we go. The absurdity of that. There's no action in that. It's right here. And what do we see in Scripture? What does God call that servant? He calls him what? Wicked. He calls that servant Wicked because he was going to bury the treasure. In Matthew chapter 14, we see Peter walking on water. The risk that he had to take to walk on water, the absurdity of Jesus is walking across the water and what he was going to have to do was take a step. He was going to have to not bury his treasure, he was going to have to actually do something. Take a step, see what happens if he stepped out of that boat. One small step for a man, one giant leap for Peter. My goodness, he was terrified, right? And what's the worst that could happen? The absolute worst that could happen is he could step out of that boat and he would sink like a stone. And that's what all the other disciples in the boat imagined was going to happen. But you see, sinking is better than sitting. Sinking is better than sitting. If he had taken that step and he had dropped like a stone, That's better than sitting there and wondering if. The regrets of action are different than the regrets of inaction. Cornell University did a study, Tom Gilovich and Vicky Medvec. Her Vicky is spelled with an I-E in case you're tracking that. The study that they did says, we regret our actions short term, our actions. We regret, we've made foolish decisions. We turned the wrong way. We pulled out in front of someone that yelled at us, short-term decisions. We regret our short-terms, the actions we made, 53% to 47%. But we, we regret our inactions long-term, 84% to 16%. What does that mean? What those missed opportunities you and I will regret for the rest of our lives, the regret of inaction— Peter wasn't going to make that mistake. And so Peter stepped out of the boat. And you know that when he stepped out of the boat, he began sinking, and he called out to Christ some sinking. and he grabbed a hold of him by the hair, pulls him up. What happened to the other disciples? They sat there, They never got out of the boat. And the rest of their lives, they know that Peter was the one that stepped out. And so we fast forward to Matthew chapter 16, and we see Peter's confession. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus' response is, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And what? The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I spent the day in Rochester yesterday with like a marathon of soccer games. We've got two different kids on two different teams and we were going all over the place and four hours of, or excuse me, four games of soccer that took like 14 hours. I don't know how that works, but it did. And if you see my daughter Dalia today, she's got a sunburned face, The poor kid. It was cold and sunburned is how it worked out. We we're out there all day. If you've been around you know, youth soccer, youth basketball, it doesn't matter. You've been around some of these youth sports. If you've been a coach, or you've just been a parent on the sideline, particularly at the younger ages. There's a moment when, when the ball comes to your kid, and all of a sudden they turn, or they turn and shoot, or they turn and kick it, in and they're going the wrong way. And everyone on the side says, wait, 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 wait. Or or they start to, to dribble the ball, and one of their friends on the same team runs up and takes it away from them. You've seen this, right? Basketball, it doesn't matter, hockey, whatever it is. And what do you scream from the sidelines? Or what do you pleasantly encourage from the sidelines? You're on offense. You're on offense. And don't you know that that cloud of witnesses is standing on the side sometimes in our lives, shouting, you're on offense. What Jesus tells Peter, he says, the gates of hell will not be able to hold back the tide of this offense. We watch a lot of Animal Planet in our house. I'm learning a little bit about rhinoceroses, I think that's how you say it, rhinos. Did you know rhinos can run 30 to 40 miles an hour? That that may not sound fast to you if you're driving a car, but if that was coming, it would sound like NASCAR coming and bearing down on you if you had a bunch of rhinos coming at you. You know what else is interesting about rhinos? They can see three feet in front of their face. So, another animal that runs 30 miles an hour, just to give you context, is a squirrel or a chipmunk. When they run across the power lines in the backyard and your dog chases them back and forth and all that happens, that thing's scampering across back and forth. That's 30 miles an hour. Imagine a rhinoceros running at 30 miles an hour back and forth on your power lines and you're starting to get a little bit of peace of what's going on. 30 miles an hour can see three feet in front of its face. Guess what a herd or a group of rhinos are called? a crash. Isn't that appropriate? Because they're running at 30 miles an hour and they can't see three feet in front of their face. What would it look like if you're at church on a Sunday morning that our ushers who were in the back, that they were issuing crash helmets when you came through the door? What if, what if they were you know, they've installed seat belts in the pew so that you can buckle in. What if uh, there was, there was life jackets at every pew, underneath the pew, we let you know that ahead of time. Hey, and just, just in case, so you know, if there's anything happens, you know, these are the doors, this is this, and there's life jackets underneath, pull out the seat. All of that, that that was part of our normal Sunday morning routine, and there was signal flares at the end of every, at the end of every pew. What would we be communicating there? We're on offense, People. We're on offense. We're about to go into battle. We're about to run headlong into something and God is gonna show up because this is a God of offense. And Jesus was calling his people to be on offense. So as a matter of illustration, I dug out, did anyone have an I love me box at home? I've got one of those. It was just this box of stuff that was really exciting at some point in my life and I thought it was really important to keep. So, these are my track spikes from high school. And I had a reputation on the team of having the nastiest smelling feet that you can imagine. Uh, when we would go on an away uh, trip, uh, we would actually have to, myself and there's a couple other guys on the bus, that we would have to roll down the windows, uh, tie a knot, and hang our shoes out the window and roll it back up so that we wouldn't choke everybody else out on the bus on the return trip. So fortunately. I added up, 22 years ago when I was running with these cleats, my closet has 22 years of stench has gradually worked its way out. They're not quite as bad as they used to. But these track spikes, they've got some broken spikes. And I know, because I used to run track and I pole vaulted and different things like that, I know that on the, the, excuse me, wrong shoe, on the right shoe, you know, I, I pole vaulted, and I know that this, this cleat right here is missing because I came down hard one day pole vaulting, and I cut, I've got a scar running down by my knee when that one broke off right there. You see it? When that one broke off right there, I literally have a scar to prove that cleat went into my leg, and there it is. These shoes are damaged. They are broken. They've seen a lot of activity. They've seen a lot of miles. Why? Because I've run in them. These pair of shoes, I told you I was training for a half marathon. These are the ones I ran the half marathon in. I don't like keep all my shoes ever. I just, just giving you an example here. And so I get these out this morning because I want you to, oh man. <laughs> Some of you who are close enough to see what's going on right now. Your mom always tells you to wear clean underwear in case you're in a car accident. She probably tells you not to wear socks with a hole in them either when you're going to do an illustration. So we need to be prepared to run. We need to be prepared to attack and throw off the things that are holding us back. I'm only going to take off my jacket. Because as we are looking forward to what Jesus has for this church and for your life and for mine, we have a cloud of witnesses surging around us saying, keep your eyes on the prize and run. And you're gonna have some scars and you're gonna get hurt and you're gonna get damaged, but run because following Christ, there is nothing passive about following Christ. There's no victory in wearing a T-shirt, I came, I ate, and I conquered. There's so much more that Christ has for you and for me as the band comes up this morning. Dear Lord, we love you. We praise you and we thank you for this time. Lord, we pray that your word would speak true today. Lord, that we would be a church that would run, that would come out of the starting blocks as fast as we possibly can Lord, there are some who are going to stumble. There are some who are going to fall. And that's what the body of Christ is all about, is picking one another up. But we have to run. And so this cloud of witnesses that you describe, Lord, is, is surging around us, pointing, calling, calling us to endure, calling us to take steps. And so, Lord, we, we respond to you this morning in that way. Taking steps might be different for many. If you're here this morning and your step is to write a letter, your step is to make a phone call, your step is to submit that resume, your step is to shake that hand, greet that person, your step is to resign from your job, move. There's a different race course marked out for each person in this room, Lord. But I pray that they would be bold enough to take steps to run. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand as we worship? I will be in the back. As the focus is attention, attention is focused forward, I would love to talk to anyone who would want to come back and talk for just a few moments. As we sing together, would you stand?